Father, we just thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the opportunity to be back together. Lord, we pray for uh, those that are sick and at home. And Lord, we just thank you for the way you have protected our church and our church family through this COVID-19 crisis, Lord, and how we've fared pretty well. And we just thank you for that. Uh, We do have a couple of people that are sick that don't have the virus, but they're sick. And we do pray for them. We pray especially for Ken, Lord, who's suffering from uh, vertigo. Just ask for you to to heal him so he can get back and be here with us. And Lord, again, we just thank you for, for just how much you, you watch over us, Lord. And we see that in this story of Joseph and his brothers and how you bring them back together. And Lord, uh, as we look at this, uh, we're reminded of our situation, Lord, and as they went through this great famine and, and Lord, how it awakened their guilt and, and they realized what they had done to Joseph and Lord, sometimes that happens to us when we, when we face trouble, Lord, we, we, we tend to uh, remember those sins that we committed in the past, that, and, and Lord, sometimes we, we deal with that in the wrong way. We know that, Lord, all our sin has been dealt with on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we just thank you for that. And Lord, help us to see that lesson today uh, just magnified as, as we look at these brothers who didn't have a cross to look to at that point, Lord. And so they were dealing with guilt, and, and that's a terrible thing to have to deal with. Father, we just thank you again for, for your word and all you teach us. And Lord, we just ask that you bless this study by the power of your Holy Spirit today. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. My, one of my favorite line in the first Toy Story movie came when... Rex the dinosaur realized that uh, he had falsely accused Woody of, of trying to harm Buzz Lightyear and he had thrown him out the back of the truck and uh, he thought maybe he was going to die and he, when he realized that, it, that he was wrong he said, uh, great, now I have guilt. Uh, why did Rex hate the idea that he had guilt? Because guilt is something that you have to deal with the rest of your life. Uh, guilt is, is something that we can't seem to shake. And the reason we can't seem to shake our guilt is because of these wonderful minds that God has given us. He's given us minds where we can store up memories. Everything we've ever said or done is stored somewhere back in the back of our, our minds. And, and it doesn't take too much of a, a jarring for us to remember uh, those things that we've done, whether they be good or bad. Uh, a few, a while back, I was visiting with Kaylee and Eli, and they served us Milo's tea for supper. And I mean, they gave us more than that than the tea, but but with the with the supper, they gave us some Milo's tea. And I tasted that Milo's tea, and it tasted exactly like the tea my mom used to make. And I was drinking that tea, and all of a sudden, my mind went back to those days 50 years earlier, or over 50 years earlier, when we were sitting at the dinner table. I could just see it, you know, sitting there with my mom and dad and my brothers and my sister and having dinner and drinking her sweet tea. And I mean, it's just amazing how those things are stored up in your memory somewhere. But stored up along with those good memories are also... Uh, the memories of some of the bad things that we've done, they're all still there too. And it doesn't take much to jar those memories and to remember some sin we committed way back in the past or maybe recently in the past. We just can't seem to shake it. And when we, when we remember those sins, uh, we, uh, we feel guilt. We shouldn't, but we, we do. You know, I could hear some song from the 70s. And that'll bring back all all sorts of memories. But it also brings back memories of some of the things I was doing in the 70s that weren't so good, and some some real terrible sins I was doing back then. I mean, just reading this text today, when I got to to, uh, the part about where Joseph throws his brothers into jail for three days, it reminded me of the time over 30 years ago when I was in jail not knowing when I was going to get out. And, I, all of the, and how I sat there and I pondered all the reasons that had got me thrown into jail. And I'm sure they were feeling that same way, feeling that guilt that, that uh, sometimes pops up in our minds when our memories are jogged. And, and uh, it's a tough thing to shake. So I can relate to, to Rex and Joseph's brothers. Uh, you know, guilt is a, 
an extremely painful feeling. God's made it that way. And it's a feeling we don't like. Uh, today, as we continue in our study in Genesis, we're going to examine the guilt that Joseph's brothers had because of what they had done to Joseph over 20 years earlier. We know it was over 20 years earlier because, because uh, Joseph had spent 13 years in slavery and in prison. The seven years of the famine had, had passed, and now they were into the, I, I mean, yeah, seven years of the prosperity had passed, and now they were into the famine. And so they were a couple of years into the famine. And so probably about 22 years have passed when we come to chapter uh, 42, 20, 22, 23 years, somewhere in that range. And, and uh, uh, we're going to look at their guilt, the guilt that is awakened by this encounter they have with Joseph and just how painful and haunting uh, guilt can, can be. Uh, as we pick up in the story today, uh, these 20 or so years have passed since since, remember, Joseph came to Dothan that day. He came to Dothan. His father sent him down to Dothan and told him, look, go check on your brothers who are herding the sheep up, up in Dothan. And uh, he went there to check on them. And they saw him coming. And when they saw him coming, they said, look, here comes that dreamer. Let's see what's going to happen to his dreams now. And they had every intent of killing uh, Joseph. And so they threw him into a pit and... Uh, uh, if it hadn't been for the fact that the Midianites came along and Judah suggested that they uh, sell Joseph to the Midianites, they would have killed him. But they didn't kill him. They sold him to the Midianites. And, and he went back, he went to Egypt and went on into slavery. And uh, they went back to Hebron and they lied to their father and, and they told their father that some wild beast had, had killed Joseph. And for more than 20 years, they had done everything they could do as individuals, to forget what they had done to their brother. But every time they heard their father cry, every time they looked at each other in the eyes, they were reminded of that terrible, dastardly deed that they had done against their brother some 20 years earlier. And, and the guilt was so bad, if you remember in chapter 38, Judah moves to Adullam a few miles away, so he doesn't have to look at his dad every day. So he doesn't have to look at his brothers every day and be reminded of that guilt. Uh, but but uh, it was just something they couldn't shake. And when we come to chapter 42, they're going to face their brother again. They're going to face Joseph. Now, they're not going to recognize him, but Joseph is going to put them through such a trial that their memories are going to be jarred, and all that guilt's going to come flooding back and uh, it's going to force them to deal with their guilt. Now, remember how we came to this point. Remember, Pharaoh had two dreams. He had two dreams, and Joseph interpreted those dreams. And in those dreams, there would be seven years of plenty uh, and then seven years of famine. And Joseph interpreted that. Uh, and, and when we finished in chapter 41, the years of pro seven years of prosperity had ended, and the seven-year great uh, famine had begun. Uh, and Pharaoh, remember, had promoted Joseph because Joseph interpreted those dreams and he could see the wisdom of God in Joseph. He had promoted Joseph to be head over all of Egypt. And so Joseph was in charge of storing up the food during the seven years of prosperity, and he was in charge of giving it out or selling it during the seven years of the famine. And so... Uh, if, if you look at the end of chapter 41, the last verse there, it wasn't just Egypt who was infected by this great famine. It says all the countries uh, came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Everywhere the famine was severe, even back in the land of Canaan. So meanwhile, back at the ranch, we go back, as we come to chapter 42, we head back to the story, or the scene changes to, from Egypt over to Hebron in Canaan, and we see this little infant nation of Israel, and they're struggling uh, with this famine, just like the rest of the world. And uh, you can hear their stomachs growling. You can hear the lamb's stomachs growling. They, they, were, they were sheep herders, and those sheep were starving, and and so they needed food really bad. And although Joseph, remember, had chosen to forget his family. Remember, he named his son Manasseh. 
God made me forget. Uh, God made me forget all about my pain and my sorrow and all about my family. I, I, Joseph said to himself, I'm not homesick for my family anymore. As far as I'm concerned, I put them out of my mind and out of my heart. I'm done with them. But God hadn't forgotten his family. Uh, and so God's going to take care of uh, uh, Jacob and his sons, and he's going to use Joseph to do that. And so as we come to, to chapter 42, uh, the, the story turns back to Jacob and the brothers. So pick up with me in chapter 42, and let's look beginning down in verse number 1. It says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. Now, how did he see that there was grain in Egypt? Well, if you look at a map, Israel is like a land bridge between Egypt and, and the rest of the world, or the rest of the, that part of the world. And so every, all of these delegations were sent by these nations down to Egypt to get food. And he could see these delegations going down to Egypt to get food, and he could see them going back with grain, with back with food. And so, so he saw that there was food in, in Egypt, and Jacob said to his, to his sons, he, I don't think he cared much for his sons. And you can kind of see this in the tone of his voice or, or the, the words of, his, uh, of what he says, which kind of indicates the tone of his voice. He says, why do you look at each other? I mean, why, why are you just staring at one another? Do something about all of this. And he said, indeed, I have heard, watch what it says there now. He says, there is grain in Egypt. Now, I want you to think about that a minute. Why was there grain in Egypt? And there wasn't grain anywhere else in the world. I mean, how in the world was there grain down there and, and they didn't have grain in Canaan? Well, we know why. Because the sovereign God over all the universe had planned it that way. And how did he plan it? How did, what did he do in order to implement his plan? He used the evil intent of Joseph's brothers to send Joseph off to slavery into Egypt and then into prison and then into the house of Pharaoh where he was promoted to second over all of Egypt so that he would be there to help them back in Canaan. Isn't it amazing how God weaves his webs, how he, how he implements his plans and, and uh, how he always turns what's evil into good? And that's exactly what we see here. Jo J Jacob didn't know why it was there. But Jacob knew that there it was grain in Egypt. So he says, go down to that place and buy for us grain there that we may live and not die. I mean, get off your fannies and do something. Get off your fannies and I want you to go down to Egypt and I want you to get some grain so that we don't starve. And, and, and you can just see that he really doesn't have much respect for his sons, his older sons. Now, at this point, he thinks Joseph is dead. And he has, his new favorite son is Benjamin, Joseph's brother. And so he really doesn't care much for these older sons. And that's really sad because a lot of the character flaws that they had came because of his bad child rearing. He, he never disciplined them. He showed favoritism to Joseph and Benjamin, and he treated them pretty bad. And so really who they were had a lot to do with how he had raised them, and he had done a very poor job of raising, him, raising them. So in verse number 3 it says, So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Benjamin didn't go. Joseph supposedly was dead in Jacob's mind. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers. He said, Lest some of calamity befall him. Let me tell you what, I believe Jacob suspected that those older brothers had killed Joseph. Remember when they brought him the coat and they told him he had been killed by wild beasts and there was blood on the coat of many colors, the coat wasn't torn up and common sense would tell you if a wild beast had, had, had killed someone they would have torn their torn their clothing in the process. And so I think later on when he thought about this, he realized that more than likely his, his older sons actually killed uh, his son Joseph. And that had to be a hard thing to deal with. But again, a lot of that was on him. It was because of the fact that he had shown all of that favoritism to Joseph. I mean, that, that doesn't excuse their murder. But, but it does make him culpable in, in, in some respect because because uh, he had shown favoritism to Joseph and had treated them so bad. All right. Then it says in verse number five, 
And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed. The rest of the delegations that were going, they followed them into Egypt to, to find out where the grain was. For the famine was in the land of Canaan too. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold all the people, sold, sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Now imagine what went through Joseph's mind at this point. Because he recognizes them and, and they don't recognize him. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and he spoke roughly to them. He spoke really harsh, harshly to them. I mean, he acted as if he didn't like them. And I imagine that was pretty easy for him to do, you know, after all they had done to him. And then he said to them, where do you come from? Now, here is Joseph. And just as God had prophesied in those two dreams that Joseph had early on in his life when he was about 17 years old, here are his brothers and they're bowing down to him. And, and you got to wonder how Joseph felt at this point. You had to wonder, man, was he really angry? I, I don't think he was angry at all. I, 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 I I think what he felt at that point was a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. I mean, here were these brothers that had done this terrible thing to him, but here's what he knew. He knew that what they had done for evil, God had turned to good. And so he was able to, to, to he was free to love them, and he was free to forgive them, and I think he had to make himself do it. But at that point, he says, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to forgive them. But I'm not going to forget what they did to me. I'm not, I'm not stupid enough. I'm not going to hold it against them. But I know that these guys can do some evil things. And so, so uh, uh, in love, I believe in love, he says, I'm going to toy with them a little bit. I'm going to, uh, love demands that I teach them a lesson. And I'm going to, teach them a lesson. And Joseph is, is a really wise man, and, I, and, and as they're sit, on their knees before him, he's already devising a plan as to how he's going to teach them this lesson. And he's got a big advantage. He's got a big advantage in this situation because he has a lot of power. And in verse number 8, uh, let me read the rest of verse number 7. And they, and, and they said, from the land of Canaan we came to buy food. And so they were honest about that. But here's where Joseph had a big advantage. It says, so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now you gotta ask the question, why? Why didn't they recognize him, yet he could recognize them? Well, if you remember, those brothers were mature adults when they did what they did to Joseph some 22 years old, earlier. Joseph was just a 17-year-old little Jewish boy. He had a beard, and he was dressed in his coat of many colors. And now he's almost 40 years old. And, and a man changes a lot between 17 and 40. They don't change much between, between 30 and 70. I can tell you, they look just as good. That wasn't a joke. But you change a lot. You look at pictures of people when they were 17, and then look at people pictures of them when they're 40 and they look a lot different you can't even recognize them so they, so he had changed his his appearance had changed he was wearing he was clean shaven he didn't have a beard anymore in Egypt they didn't wear beards and so and he had on this this clothing of royalty and he was speaking to them in the Egyptian language through an interpreter so 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 these guys just weren't astute enough to to get on to catch the fact that this was their brother Joseph but Joseph knew it was them and then Joseph, watch this, it says, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. I mean, it all, he sees them bowing down before him, and he remembers those dreams which he had dreamed about them bowing down before him, and he says to them, and he, he's already got this plan devised in his mind. And listen to what he says. He says, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So, Joseph goes back and he ponders those dreams. I mean, he's doing all this rapidly in his mind. Those dreams that he had when he was in Hebron. And, and, and here's what he's thinking, I believe, at this point. 
There are three characters missing in the dream. And, and this excites him. Because if God could bring those ten brothers there and make that dream come true, then he believes the entire dream's going to come true, even that second dream. And remember in the second dream, well, who did he see in that dream? He saw his father and his, and his stepmother, Leah, and he saw his brother Benjamin in that dream. And so this clues him that his family, that those family members are still alive. And that excite, had to excite him. Because he loved his brother Benjamin. He was close to his brother Benjamin. They were of the same age. They were of the same mother. They weren't half-brothers like Joseph was with these ten brothers that were there then. They, he, he was his full brother. And he missed his father. And so he, he knows now. They're going to tell him in a minute that they're alive. But he knows now at this point that they're alive. And so here's his, what he wants to do. He wants to teach them a lesson. But, but in teaching them the lesson, he doesn't want to split up the family. He doesn't, want to get an, he doesn't want to miss the opportunity to see Benjamin and, and Jacob again. And so, so uh, he's, he's planning in his mind, how am I going to do this? So what he does, he accuses his ten brothers of being spies. In other words, your king sent you down here to spy out the land so you could find out the weaknesses in the land so that you could come and steal our grain. And that really... He probably had to check that with everybody that came down there. So it wasn't something that wasn't a possibility. And so uh, uh, here they are, and uh, he figures if, if I tell them right away who I am, uh, and they find out that they're, and they're caught in their sin, they're going to get really scared. When they see me standing here as second in command over all of Egypt, and he, they probably knew that at this point, and I tell them that I'm your brother Joseph, who you, you know, sent off into slavery and you almost killed. Uh, if he tells them that, they're going to they're gonna run as fast as they can to get away from him. And even if they, he gives them the grain, they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to want to ever come back because they, they would be afraid for their lives. They live with that guilt. And we're going to see this later on. They live with that guilt the rest of their life. They live with that fear that Joseph was going to kill them the, the rest of their life. They live with that in, until until they died or until he died. And uh, so he accuses them of being spies, and, and uh, 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 they knew what they did to spies in Egypt, and so they were very, very afraid. Now look at verse number 10. And they said to him, No, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. That's why we're down here. We are all one man's son. So we are... Watch this. Now, I love this line. We are honest men. Now, if you know the story, these guys were not very honest men. But we are honest men. That's like when somebody tells you, I'm not, I tell you, I'm telling you 100% of the truth. I mean, you know they're lying when they say that. We are honest men. When somebody tells you, I, I, I'm, I'm not lying, I'm telling you the truth, watch out for that. You don't have to, if you're an honest man, you don't have to tell anybody you're an honest man. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But to hear they say, we are honest men, for your servants are not spies. Well, ask the Shechemites about that, if they were honest men. Remember how they told the Shechemites that if, if uh, you'll get circumcised, we'll all be one people? And they all, the Shechemites, went and got circumcised, and while they were writhing in pain, they went and killed all the, all the Shechemite men and took their wives and their children away as captives. These guys weren't honest men. When they... When they, when they uh, uh, sent Joseph off into slavery. They went back and told their father that wild beasts had killed their father. These were anything but honest men. And, and Joseph knew that. So Joseph's putting the pressure on them now as we come to verse number 12. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. You, you want to see, checking out for your king how you might... Uh, Conquer the land. You, you're, you're here to look at our weaknesses so that you can conquer the land and steal the grain. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of the man, in the, the son of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more. Who's the one who is no more? The one they're looking at right there, then and there. He is there, still there. But you got to, Imagine, at this point, Joseph is certain that his father and his younger brother are alive because they said the youngest is with our father today. And, and so he had to 
had to have great joy at this point, knowing that they were, that they were still alive. But Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In, the manner, in this manner you shall be tested by the life of Pharaoh. I swear on Pharaoh's life. You shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here to me. In other words, you say you're a family man, you say you've got a younger brother, prove it. Go get your younger brother, bring him back to me, and then I'll sell you green. I'll believe that you truly are family man. He might even made him describe his younger brother at that point so they couldn't just go pick up anybody. And so, so uh, he gets them to bring back, uh, he tells them he wants them to bring back uh, the younger brother. Then in verse number 16, he says, Send one of you and let him bring your brother. And the rest of you I'm going to put in prison. So at this point, his plan is to do this. He's going to put nine of the brothers in prison, and he's going to send one back to get Benjamin, and then when they, he brings Benjamin back, the, the brothers will be released. And he says, so he says, send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else I swear by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. In my mind, you're spies, so you're going to have to prove it otherwise. And so what he did at this point, he put them in prison for three days. Now, when he put them in prison for three days, he didn't tell them they were going to be in prison for three days. They didn't know how long they were going to be in prison. They didn't know what he was doing. And, and they didn't know which one of them was going to be sent back. As far as they knew, the rest of them, uh, I mean, any one of them could, could be sent back, but the rest of them were going to have to stay in prison. And they didn't know how long they were going to have to stay in prison. Now, some people say at this point Joseph was getting revenge. I totally disagree with that. If Joseph wanted revenge, he could have gotten revenge. He could have had those brothers killed on the spot, told them what they had done, reminded them who they were, who he was, and had them killed on the spot. But, but he didn't do that. He could have put them in prison and thrown away the key. He could have put them in the worst prison in Egypt and thrown away the key, but he doesn't do that. He puts them in prison, and his intent is to leave them there for three days. Now, they don't know that. So as far as they're concerned, they might be in there forever. One of them might get out to go get Benjamin, but... But uh, they knew that was going to be a very difficult thing, too, because the father wasn't going to let go of Benjamin. So what was Joseph doing here? I think to some degree he was giving them a taste of the medicine he had had to take. Just a taste. I mean, three days was just a taste because Joseph spent years in prison. But he wants them to taste the pain and the hurt that, that, uh, that, that he, had, he had felt. And I've got to tell you something. I spent seven days in prison, and, and not in prison, in jail, which is as bad as prison. I spent seven days there. God has a way of playing games with time. He can make something that's really bad last as long as he wants to make it last. You might be measuring it in, in, in seconds and minutes and hours, but he can measure it, make it last very, very long time. Those seven days I spent in jail, I got to tell you, they seem like an eternity because I was in there, I didn't know when I was going to get out how I was going to get out. And, 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 and God made that time last. And I'm sure he did the same thing for these, these brothers. They were in jail for three days, and I bet it seemed like an eternity to them. And when you're in a position like that, it's not a bad position to be in. And let me tell you why. Because when you're in a position where you're all alone, that's kind of what maybe this COVID virus has done for some people, you know, where we're, where we're forced to be alone at home, and we just kind of, kind of sit there and, and take inventory of our life. I mean, that's what, that's what my seven days in jail did for me. I mean, I, I sat there and I took an inventory of my life. And, and, and the picture that I, I painted of myself while I was in jail, which was an accurate picture of my life, wasn't very pretty. I mean, it was pretty bad. And I had a lot of time to reflect on a lot of the things that I'd done. A lot of the things that I'd done that got me thrown into that jail at that particular time. And I, and, and I didn't think very much of myself at that point. It actually was what led me to receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior. Because I, I, I saw how I had a chance to stop, get my head out of the bottle, get my head out of the drugs, get my head out of all the things that I could hide in, and truly reflect on my life. And, I, and I, if, it had if it had taken seven years, or 70 years, God would have 
allowed me to be there that long, and in some ways it seemed like I was in there 70 years. But it's a good thing to stop and do that every once in a while. And so here are these brothers, and, and they're in prison, and they don't know when they're going to get out. And I believe, I believe that they had some time to reflect. And all of a sudden, that time in prison jarred their memory. And they went back to that experience some 22 years earlier when they had almost killed their brother, when their intent was to kill their brother, but they had sold him off into slavery, which usually was a death sentence anyway. And for the, only, the slaves only lived a few years in that culture. And so, so as far as they were concerned, he was certainly dead by now. But all of a sudden they were faced with that guilt and they, and they, had, nothing, they had no way to get rid of that guilt. And so it was really eating at them. There's no doubt about it at that point. All right, now, then we go to verse number eight, 18, I believe we left off at. Is that right? Then Joseph said to them on the third day, do this for I fear God. Now, some people say that's a clue to them that Joseph was a God-fearing man. And they should have recognized in Egypt there weren't any God-fearing man, so maybe they should have thought maybe this is Joseph. But that's not the case at all. The word God there is Elohim, which is plural, God's plural. And, and certainly the Egyptians worshipped all the wrong gods, but they worshipped thousands of different gods. And so he, he, that's what he's referring to there. Then Joseph said to them on the third day, do this, do this and live, for I fear the gods. In other words, I'm going to show you some mercy. I've changed my plan. Instead of nine of you remaining in prison, I'm only going to keep one of you in prison. And then he says in verse number 19, If you are an honest man, as you say, uh, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. They did so. Why did they do so? They didn't have any choice in the matter. They either, they either did what Joseph told them to do or, uh, or they, were, they were done for. He would have thrown them all into prison. He would have killed them as far as, as they were concerned. So, so, so they realized at this point, man, they were in deep, deep trouble. They were in deep trouble. They didn't know which one of them was going to stay in prison. It could have been any one of them. And that person was going to have a hard time. But then they were going to have to go back to their father Jacob and tell them that they got the grain, got good news, I got bad news. The good news is we got the grain. The bad news is one of us is in prison. And we got to bring Benjamin back to Egypt in order to get him out of prison and get any more grain. And they only gave us enough grain to last a year or so. And so, so uh, you know, we're going to have to go back. And they knew that Jacob wasn't going to let them go back. So they realized that they were in deep, deep trouble. And in, during those three days in prison, they had had a chance to reflect on what they had done to Joseph, and all of a sudden, that guilt raised its ugly head in their hearts, and they felt guilty. And they wondered at this point, was this God's way, the Jehovah God's way of punishing them for what they had did to Joseph some 20 years earlier? Uh, and, and they could all say, I have guilt. So verse number 21, then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. See, that's, that's what came to mind, that great sin that they had committed against Joseph. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. I mean, can you imagine that? We get a little insight here that we didn't get earlier. I mean, can you imagine you're doing this to your own brother can you, and, 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 he's, and, and him begging them not to do this and pleading with them not to do this. And, and we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, God is punishing us, and this distress has come upon us. So, it's been over 20 years, and they still can't get this picture of what they had done to Joseph out of their minds. They never did. They never did get it out of their minds. And here's what, they, here's what they understood at this point. They understood a very 
important biblical principle. They didn't have the Bible yet, but over in Numbers you get this principle, and that is this, that your sin will surely find you out. See, I don't know that they were so much sorrowful over the fact that they had done this dastardly deed to Joseph. They were sorry over the fact that now God was punishing them for that sin. And just because the punishment of a sin doesn't come immediately, we're told in the book of Ecclesiastes, doesn't mean God's not going to punish God, that sin. God punishes every sin. Every sin. And, 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 and that's those sins that we commit that are stored up in our memory, hey, those sins, unless they're dealt with, and we'll talk about how they're dealt with a little bit later on, but unless they're dealt with, they're going to be punished at some times in the future. And so really they're exactly right. I mean, uh, when they say they're, uh, that, that this distress has come upon them because of what they did uh, to their brother uh, Joseph. Then in verse number 22, And so Reuben answered them, saying, Did I, I not speak to you that night? That night when we took Joseph and we threw him in that pit, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen to me. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. God is punishing us for what we did 20 or so years earlier. Now, they didn't understand it at this point. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And this was more than Joseph could take at this point. He turned away and he wept. He wept. Why did he weep? Why did he weep? Some say he wept because he saw the fact that Reuben had tried to stop this and, and, and that brought joy to his heart that one of his brothers at least tried to, to, to stop them from doing this terrible thing. I, I don't think so. Maybe it played a small part in the reason he, he was weeping, but but I don't think so. You know, some say that you could see the, the, the heart of repentance in these brothers at this point and that they really felt bad about what they had done and that they had lived with this all these years, so that made him weep. I don't think so because Joseph understood the reason they were upset was that, that, uh, wasn't, that, uh, it was that wasn't that they had done a terrible thing. It was the fact that they had gotten caught. And so why was he weeping? Let me tell you why he was weeping. Remember? what he named his first son. He named his first son Manasseh because Manasseh means he, God made me forget or he made me forget. He made me forget all the terrible things that my brothers had done to me. And, and, and Joseph, in his own way, had kind of swept those things to the back of his mind. But the memory is an amazing thing. It was still there. He could, even all that joy that he had in his two new sons, all the joy he had in being in charge over Egypt, not being a prisoner, not being a slave, seeing what God had done for him, all that joy could not overcome this moment when all of a sudden he's faced with his brothers and they rehearse again that night when he pleaded with them and he begged them, please don't do this. And they, they had him down in the pit and you know what they, remember what they did while he was down in the pit and he's pleading with them and they could see the anguish on his face? You remember what they did? They went and they ate dinner. They ate dinner. How cold-hearted was that? And Joseph remembered that. And he wept. He was hurt. All of that pain came flooding back into his heart. And he was hurt and he, and he, and he, and he wept. And then... Then it, he dried his tears away, took a handkerchief or whatever he used and dried his tears away and he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And he threw Simeon back into prison. And as we're going to see next week, he's going to let the other boys go back to Canaan with grain. But they're given a task and that task is going to be to bring back his brother Benjamin now why why do you think Simeon was chosen I, th I think there's good reasons for that well first of all I think Joseph probably would have chosen the oldest son to stay in prison and that would have been Reuben 
But Reuben had kind of vindicated himself, and Joseph had heard it because Reuben had, had told them not to do this thing, to let Joseph go. And so he really wasn't as responsible as the other brothers. The next oldest son was Simeon. So that would put Simeon in, 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 the next in charge amongst the brothers. And so he decides to throw Simeon in jail because Simeon was the most cold-hearted of the bunch. Simeon was the one who led that massacre at Shechem, that cold-hearted massacre of all those men writhing in pain from that circumcision. And so, so Simeon needed as much as anybody to have some more time reflecting in prison. And, it, and probably, you know, God touches Joseph's heart and says, look, Simeon needs this the most. So put Simeon, let him be the one who goes into jail. And so Simeon, as we leave the story, Simeon's in jail, and, and the other brothers are about to leave and, and uh, go back home with the grain. Now, there's a couple of really good lessons in this story, and they, they have, certainly have application for the day in which we live, and I want to finish with, with those two lessons. Uh, the first one's obvious. It's a lesson on guilt. I mean, what had happened here, it wasn't so much seeing Joseph because they didn't recognize Joseph. But that time in prison and that fear of death, that trauma that had come into their life had made them reflect on their lives and what they had done in the past. And especially that great sin that they had committed against Joseph. Now, Later on, we know the story, and I'm getting ahead of things, but later on, Joseph is going to forgive them of what they did. I think at this point he's already forgiven them, but he's going to pardon them for what they did without any, any punishment. But even after he pardons them, the guilt didn't go away. They still had the guilt. When you come to the very last chapter of Genesis, chapter 50, Jacob dies. And when he dies, the brothers come to Joseph. They all come to Joseph again. And they bow down before him and cause him to weep all over again. And because they say to Joseph, they say, Joseph, now our father's dead. Please don't kill us. In other words, we believe the only reason you kept us alive is for the sake of Jacob, and now he's dead, you're going to kill us. And so they still had that guilt. Years later, they still had that guilt. They lived with that guilt their whole life because there was nothing that they could do to get rid of that guilt because they understood that when they sinned against Joseph, they didn't just sin against Joseph, they had sinned against God. And they just couldn't shake that guilt. What about you? Is there some sin in your life that you just can't shake? Well, you know, I don't know we ever get rid of the memories of our sin this, this side of heaven. I don't know if we ever get rid of the memories of our sin. I mean, I know that in heaven, when we see Christ, we're going to see those nail-scarred hands and those nail-scarred feet. And the only way they're going to mean something to us is if we still remember our sins. And we're in glory, made totally holy. And we realize that we've been made holy by Him. So I believe we always carry the memory of our sins. But these guys... They didn't have a way to get rid of their sin. They didn't know how to get rid of their sin, how to get rid of their guilt. And so they lived with it their whole life, and that was a very painful thing. And here we are now, and we're living in a time of great trauma. And I'll tell you what trauma does. When, when, you, when, when, when things bad happen, you know what you immediately think? You, you, you immediately think the same thing they did. Hey, maybe God's getting me back for that bad thing I did back in 1984 or that bad thing I did back in 
2020 at the beginning of the year. Do you ever feel that way that maybe some of the things, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, maybe some of the things that are happening to you is God getting back at you? Well, when you feel that way, you still have guilt. You still have guilt. But we're, and, and let me tell you one other thing that happens. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. It means accuser. And whenever you're struggling in life, he loves to come to you and say something like this. The reason you're struggling is because God is getting you back because of what you did back so-and-so. What you did way back then, or what you did yesterday, or what you did last week, or what you did a year ago. God's just getting you back. But we know better than that, don't we? God certainly judges sin. As I said earlier, there, there is judgment for every single sin we ever commit. That we, it will be judged. But we're not like Joseph's brothers. They, they didn't know what to do with their guilt. We know what to do with our guilt. We know that we can get rid of our guilt. We can't get the, rid of the memory of our sins, and that's maybe a good thing, or it is a good thing. But we can get rid of our guilt, and there's only one way, one thing that will rid us of our guilt, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that we're told in 1 John that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God. And if you have the righteousness of God, you're perfect. And so you have no guilt. When the Lord spoke about the new covenant in Jeremiah, and it's, and it's quoted in chapter, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, listen to what he said. He said, this is the covenant that I will make with them in those days, in the last days, in the days after the cross, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. I love this part right here. Then he said, adds this. Thank God he adds this. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. As David says in Psalms 103, they have been cast as far away from God as the east is from the west. There goes your guilt as far as the east is from the west. That means that all our sins have been paid for. That means that our guilt is gone forever. You shouldn't feel guilty anymore for the sins you commit. You should be convicted by your sin. And, and it, I'm not saying you're free to sin by any means. You're free to, to do what you want, but what you want to do has been changed because that law has been written in your heart. And so you don't want to sin anymore. And when you do sin, it's covered under the blood. Now, again, I don't recommend you sinning, even though it's covered under the blood, because God has a hand of discipline that he exercises over his children, and he's going to exercise that over you. And it can be really harsh at times. So that's the first lesson that we get out of this story today, that no matter how bad things get, you're not guilty. God's not punishing you through this COVID virus. Your sins have been paid for. They've been cast away as far as the east is from the west. Let me tell you the second lesson. We looked at that in verse number two. And that lesson is this. There is grain in Egypt. There is grain in Egypt. There is sustenance for the believer in this world. God has been planning and getting ready for everything that happens in your life. None of this came as any surprise to him. And he's going to get you through this just like he's gotten you through everything else you've been through in your life if you're a child of God. You can trust him for that. You can trust him. I don't care what you hear on the news. There's not going to be any more meat. There's not going to be any more uh, uh, whatever. There's not going to be any more beans. There's not going to be any more bread. There's not going to be any more restaurants. I mean, whatever you hear out there, God knows how, as Peter says in 2 Peter, the Lord knows how to deliver those, uh, the, the righteous, those who he's made righteous, out of every trial and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. 
Now, some people see, that, see this as a day of judgment. It certainly is a day of judgment. Look, judgment's been around for a long time. Judgment, the, the judgment of sin is what? It's death. Ultimately, we're all going to die. We all have a terminal illness. It's called death. And whether this COVID-19 gets us or something else, uh, we are all going to die. But those who know Christ will never die. They shall live forever. Those who are the unjust are held under punishment for the day of judgment. But that's not you and I. And God has a plan for you. God knows how to take care of you. If everything else, the grocery stores are empty, the ravens will feed you if necessary. God knows how to take care of the elect. You and I as believers, and if you're not a believer here today, become a believer. But you and I as believers are truly blessed. We're truly blessed. Our guilt is gone and there is food, there's grain in Egypt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we can trust you through any situation. Lord, that we could trust you to forgive us for all our sins. Lord, there's sometimes that we stand before you and, and, and we don't even recognize who you are. We don't even recognize that you've provided for us in so many ways, Lord, we, we forget about those times that you've brought us through trials and tribulations. And Lord, whenever we feel guilt, we're wrong to feel that guilt because Lord, we, 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 when we done, do that, we've forgotten about what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, we know you're going to get us through this tough time in which we live. We know that you're going to do wonderful things for, for your, your people, that you're going to do wonderful things for this world. Even because all of this evil, things that are meant for evil, Lord, you're going to turn to good. We just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your provision. We thank you that just how blessed we are in Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.